0: And so I see in my peers this desire to participate however they can. And a lot of it is around volunteer time. So mm-hmm. if you don't have money, give your time. And yeah. so it's interesting to see individuals find different ways through fundraising. For example, You know, I have a lot of really athletic friends who run marathons and do triathlons and they use that as a fundraising and awareness opportunity.
1: Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, this is Lindsay Simons, your host of the Creating Community for Good podcast. Today was one of those COVID-19 days number 132 and counting where tech was just not working for us. We tried Riverside, Zoom, Google Hangouts to no avail. Finally, we hopped on our phones and recorded the episode that way. So the sound quality is slightly lower than normal, but it's still audible and worth a listen. Hang in there, fam. What I love about this episode is that after my conversation with Richie Kendall last week about microgiving and the great transfer of wealth from boomers to millennials, in this episode, I talk with a millennial super contributor. Now, I must admit that I'm biased when I say she's an inspiration, but take a listen for yourself and see what you think. Today's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast is my dear cousin, Michaela Colbert. She talks about how she falls in love with organizations, what drives her to contribute year after year, how her peers view community service and philanthropy, and then finally, how she and others can leverage corporate, social, and environmental responsibility. Welcome to the Creating Community for Good podcast, a place dedicated to philanthropy, which is the love of humankind. With the intention to inform, inspire, and evolve, let's begin. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. I'm thrilled to have on with me today one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm blessed to have her as a cousin. We've got a big family full of a lot of talent and she is one of them. She's no exception. She's a vice president and relationship manager of life sciences and healthcare at Silicon Valley Bank. But more than her professional experience, She's a deeply committed individual who's passionate about community. And that looks like that takes many different shapes and forms anywhere from being the head of her lacrosse team at Middlebury back when she was in school to leading teams that are fundraising, crowdsource fundraising for nonprofits now. She also serves as, as a board member and she gets engaged with giving through her work. So she's an awesome model and example of a millennial who's deeply engaged and committed. And I'd like to pick your brain today, Michaela, about your experience, your motivations, and what we can all learn from you as a representation of the wider audience of millennials. Now, you don't have to represent everybody, but I want to just hear your perspective <laughs> <laughs> and pick your brain. So, thank you for joining Perfect. us today, Michaela, and welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Lindsay.
0: I'm blown away by your podcast to date, and I'm just so honored to be a part of it. I've learned
1: so much through the folks that you have brought on to your podcast. And so, I'm honored to be here. Well, that's great. Well, we can all learn something from you, too, Michaela. So, I'm, I'm really Good. excited about this conversation. We've been talking about this for a long time and we're finally here. You heard the yes. episode that was recently released about trends in millennial giving. And I want to just drill it down into some personal experiences. So can you sure. set the stage for us before we go into you know, how you're activated today? But set the stage in terms of who you are and where you're coming from and what motivates you. Perfect. So I'm from a family of five brothers. I'm the single daughter
0: between two boys. So I'm very <laughs> grateful for my brothers. And I also have a third brother who's I'll tell you a little, about, little bit about later and how my family's foundation and expectation of how we spend our excess time was around volunteering and thinking about our role in the community. So I grew up in Massachusetts, about 45 minutes north of Boston in the middle class, in a middle class white suburban neighborhood. And my family, specifically my parents, Made a really concentrated effort of making sure that we are connected with our communities around us, and understanding that our experience is very unique, and that if we had extra time and money to make sure that we ask and look around and see what we can dedicate to others. So I grew up doing Habitat for Humanity, going to food, you know, food kitchens, housing shelters, you name it, anything. You know, I we participated through my church doing learning and serving trips to do Katrina work in New Orleans when i was a rising freshman into college or I, I guess rising sophomore i went to haiti alone to volunteer for you know disaster relief efforts there and so it just was becoming part of our dna and expectations mm-hmm. of our role on this earth is to take off the blinders and look around you and spend time with those with those individuals i wrote my college essay about a time i went down to downtown boston in the middle of boston winter just and speaking with these homeless individuals who lived a very different life and how it awakened me and motivated me to spend time empathizing with other individual situations. And so that's just part of my upbringing. It's part of my brother's upbringing. So specifically my third brother, not including the fourth, which is our dog, but Kenny, Kenny is a brother and he is from the Bronx. He was a part of this individual or this nonprofit called A Better Chance where individuals from outside or in New York City would come up to Masco to attend our public high school as an opportunity for education in a new area. And so we were his host family and the expectations were low, but we became family. You know, he was an amazing human. He is an amazing human and really important for us to have that perspective growing up. So that's a little bit about my history and why I spend so much time with nonprofits that really are doing amazing work around the the East coast, but also around the globe.
1: Yeah. I love that. I have seen your family model generosity and core values. Um, you know, somebody who grew up with you really, we, I grew up in Colorado, you're back East, but we spent a lot of time together in the summers in Maine and the lakes. And when we had stopped by your house, I was always inspired and blown away by the many quotes that are, just littered throughout the house, anywhere from, you know, the refrigerator to piece of artwork that one of you has made or, you know, rocks. In one of my episodes, I think it was with Isla Malik, I talked about you, Michaela, as being one who is just dedicated to random acts of kindness. And I saw that with the way that you would paint rocks to try to delight people as they walk through your garden. And just recently during times before before COVID even, you started writing notes on a piece of paper and putting them underneath windshield wipers (laughs) saying something like "You're valued. have a great day and the sun is out or whatever, whatever it was. And it was just, you're just so full of spark and delight and I'm so inspired by you. Thank you. Is that something that you Um, feel like is common for your generation? Is that feel, do you feel like you have a group of friends who are all just out doing random acts of kindness or is that something that's kind of unique to your spirit and energy? I think some of
0: the more random acts that I do are unique to me, but I think that my peers have a really intense desire to play a big role in philanthropy in the community. And, you know, you and I were speaking about this, about how boards and fundraising events have been so kind of, there've been barriers to entry to the young professionals. They're a little bit more white tablecloth, big fundraiser, big tech writers. Focused on the later generations, those who have already built their wealth. And so I see in my peers this desire to participate however they can. And a lot of it is around volunteer time. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have money, give your time. And so it's interesting to see individuals find different ways through fundraising. For example, you know, I have a lot of really athletic friends who run marathons and do triathlons, and they use that as a fundraising and awareness opportunity specifically being from Boston and, and in Boston, it's one of the biggest fundraising moments of the year. And right now with COVID, I think Boston and a lot of nonprofits that have generated a lot of wealth, or not wealth, but general lot of proceeds from that event are trying to grapple with how to, how to fill that gap. And so I see my nice. peers volunteering time through a lot of corporate structures. So mm. what's great is that if they didn't come up with this expectation in their family credos of finding volunteer opportunities it's really amazing to see corporations such as SVB build a framework that make it really easy and the friction to entry really low. So mm. SVB has partnerships with Build that a lot of my colleagues have participated in, where it's they tell you exactly what to do, when to show up, how to act, and it's really easy. And they walk away completely changed. For example, Tech, Tech give Back is a really big event in Boston through TUG, technology underwriting greater good. And it's a great way to get exposure to a number of different uh, nonprofits that maybe resonate with them because at at a certain age, you need to really focus on what you spend your time and energy with. So, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to have a lot of time and experience through my family and growing up of, okay, I'm not as motivated maybe for low-income housing, but I'm motivated for healthcare and I'm motivated Mm -hmm. for athletics and adaptive athletics. So you really need to find what you what you want to spend that time with. And so corporate exposure, I think, is really pivotal for a lot of people my age.
1: So Michaela, I love that perspective. And I want to slow down and dissect it a little bit more because something that I want to reveal on this show is that human story of motivation and what makes people tick. And so tell me what does make you tick and how do you fall in love with an organization or maybe bigger better is how do you fall in love with a cause and then find an organization Mm -hmm. that fits into that cause? Yeah, that's an amazing question because that's how nonprofits probably
0: find their longest term and biggest advocates, longest term primaries and biggest advocates that will take that time and share the spread the message. So specifically, my two main causes that I'm dedicated and have found myself in are in healthcare and cancer research and in adaptive sports equipment. So mm-hmm. I was first. So I'll I'll break those down. So the first two related to healthcare and cancer research are America's Cancer Society, the AstraZeneca Hope Lodge, which is specifically in Boston, but there are 40 across the country. And the mission of the Hope Lodge is to provide a home away from home for individuals who are undergoing cancer therapy really far from home. And Mm. they may not have the resources to spend on six weeks of hotel stays and eating out every night, especially Mm. when you're immunocompromised and you need people to stay with you. So it's an amazing place where individuals are going through one of the hardest moments, times, long times of their lives. And they can do it together. They can have people come in. And the first time I was introduced, Katherine Anderson, she's a managing director, and she's the head of the life sciences practice at SUB She has been volunteering for a number of years and she's on the corporate council. And we went and cooked pizzas with our plus ones. And so Austin came and a number of colleagues came and we just took pizzas for these individuals then there's a the comedian then there's a the harvest all in one night on like a tuesday night and oh i was able to sit down and meet these individuals and funny enough one one couple were from northern acadia maine and knew the farm that our family the potato farm that our family ran the cook cousins wow yeah skylandia and so I'm, I'm a feeble person. I'm an extrovert. I will sit down. I was taught to sit down and talk to these beneficiaries of my time, right? At yeah. the, at the soup kitchens, we always would cook dinner and then sit down and share that meal. Cause we're all humans at the end of the day. Yeah. And so for me, you know, that was amazing. I grew up with privilege. My two parents had cancer at the same time and I lost my dad to cancer. And so if I, I just cannot imagine a life where I didn't have the people around me and the ability to drive from Topfield to Boston to go to MGH, the best cancer research center, probably debatably in the country. And I know a lot of people on the West Coast would probably disagree, and those in the Midwest too. But hey, I'm a um, UCSF
1: girl for, for life.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just no. so lucky. And I think it takes yeah. a lot of self awareness. And then the other yeah. one, swim across America, is you know aligning athletes. With cancer research centers in each region. Again, it's a national organization, but it really focused on the region and allows the region to have their own kind of vibe and people and community. So, Swim Across America, my dad swam when my uncle had cancer. So, he had been swimming for eight years, raising money for it. Um, it changes almost every couple of years, the beneficiaries or the research groups. But so I did it just to feel connected to my dad. And, yeah. you know, I grew up a swimmer, but I have never swam the Boston Harbor with really strong current <laughs> going against the wind. So, so that just resonates with me. And you just need to think about like, what is a personal story? And then from an athlete standpoint, from adaptive sports standpoint, you know, I see myself running, biking. That is my mental release. Like I need to move, get outside, calm, reset. I'm a runner, triathlete, biker, swimmer, lacrosse player. And so here yoga instructor, yogi, like, I cannot imagine trying to like, or I mean, knock on wood, I never get paralyzed, but the barriers to athletics for those who have been paralyzed or impacted by spinal cord injury is so upsetting because these individuals do not need or should not need to pay $10,000 for a bike just to get outside. So the, the kind of like equalizing the playing field for individuals to gain that release that I cherish and love, everyone should have that. So that mm. motivates me to support Kelly Brush Foundation, which has done an amazing work. She also, she and Zeke are Middlebury grads. So I learned about them early on in my lacrosse career then and, you know, supporting those that are in my community. And then my dad was a Vermont adaptive key instructor for a long time. And I started doing that too as a way to just spend time with him and, and know who was going to Sugarbush and and seeing that not everybody can maybe ski or lend or do it with the same way that I could. So if I could enable a young individual with a developmental disability to get outside and just follow a teddy bear down the mountain and have so much fun, I will do that. <laughs> and oh. for a blind skier, to see a blind skier go rip it is impressive. So. So, you know, you just got to find what motivates you and a community too that connects. And so I think nonprofits that do a really good job with their donors and the people who spend time are are staying connected and, no, you know, being like, you are providing value, thank you. Stay with me, I need you. That also helps.
1: So, okay. I, and I want to just reflect back what I heard from you and tell me if I'm on point or if you'd make any adjustments. But what it sounds like, Michaela, is that, you are driven intrinsically because of it's part of that legacy in your family, right? Is that the legacy of contributing, but then it's also as an adult thinking that it's important to be a good steward of my community. So it's that taking care of your community and, and you'll benefit as everybody benefits, everybody, all boats rise. So those are some of your just like core values, but then tying it back to something that is personally beneficial along your path of your goals. So as an athlete, finding places for you to engage athletically where you can challenge yourself to do new and different things than you've done before, which is really a benefit to you as much as it is to this organization. While you might be fundraising to do the swim, it's also something you've never done before so it gives you a stimulant it's something that's exciting and new for you and then what i'm hearing is that there is a level of just of gratitude and generosity but i'm not hearing a lot of you sort of touched on it at the very end but it's not as much about looking for validation or acceptance into a community it doesn't sound like you're really looking to be seen at the gala or want your name right next to the other socialite names but that it's Mm -hmm. it's a very personal experience for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
0: spot on. I mean, honestly, I don't need to, I don't pay attention about who's DJing what or who's sitting at my table. You know, I mean, I'm sure they're all great people because they're all there at the same, for the same reason, but I completely agree. I don't need, I don't need my, my tires pumped. <laughs> just, <Yeah. you> know.
1: <laughs> well, we talk a lot about in fundraising, especially capital campaigns, a couple of episodes before this one was all about capital campaigns and multi-year gifts and major gifts. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, it, it is about personal relationships as we've just been talking about, but then there are many donors who absolutely cherish and love to have their name on something that's really important. Like, you know, mega philanthropists love to see their name on a building. And sometimes it can be very beneficial for a corporate donor. Um, there are a lot of drivers and motivators. And I just love this book called The Seven Faces of Philanthropy that dissects the seven different motivators. And that's why I'm taking a moment to pause on it because in my training as a consultant for nonprofit fundraising, I always look at well, who are your donors and what motivates them and how do we group them either into you know people who are all motivated to just get out and go do fun activities versus people who are really looking for that opportunity to get access to other leadership philanthropists or those who are looking for recognition. Thank you for sharing that. Help me understand, you know, what are your thoughts? We talked a little bit last night in preparation for this and we did talk about the gala versus the social media campaigns. What are you working on in terms of a social media effort, and what can be learned from that? Yeah. So I mean, with COVID and everything
0: being virtual, every institution that I've seen or ever donated to is trying to get creative and yeah. to broaden broaden their eyes, the eyes on them. So, for example, Swim Across America is completely changing, and I think dem- like democratizing their event because they're allowing, they're focusing more on volume versus dollars raised because if they can get their eyes on or eyes from a number of different people that just watch and get motivated and see that it's not swimming only, that, that democratizes the event because I think Mm. swimming is really hard. I, I grew up swimming, but not a lot of my peers who I think would be completely motivated by the same cause find it as accessible. And so Swim Across America is doing this virtual event where you can log your biking hours or your miles, your running miles, your yoga time. So I think that's really creative. I think the virtual gala is, you know, is an interesting way to make it a little bit more casual. Have you done a virtual Um, gala
1: yet? Have you attended one? We haven't,
0: but no, we haven't yet. So for the Hope Lodge, we're trying to think about what do we, what do we do to make it fun? How do we get the content to be really personal? So we're thinking mm-hmm. about various beneficiaries of the Hope Watch to speak, to share. I mean, that was the focus of the in-person gala anyways. And so how can we con- you know, bring that content and bring that personal level to our audience? But also it's a free ticket. Anybody can join this virtual event. So it's no longer a $500 plus dollar seat. And so I think that it's forcing us to change the way that we communicate with individuals who once were excluded in a way from various events, such as the the kind of white tablecloth, huge auction gala, which obviously those are designed for big donors and they're big events for a good reason because it takes a lot of energy. But I think that if we can work on expanding our social media platform, sharing stories, because a lot of individuals such as millennials my age are used to getting content in news and information and Mm. stories about influencers that they've never met um Mm, on their phones. and so if we can leverage that to bring in the stories from the hope lodge and and swim across america and kelly brush then the better because sometimes people need to see it to believe it and we can't right now bring people in to cook dinners at the hope lodge so Mm -hmm. how do we how do we kind of get that same experience in a virtual way, which is challenging, but I think it could be really, really powerful. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think that it's an interesting time right now to figure out how are we educating or building awareness about nonprofits, but then it's also, how are we activating our brains because everybody's stuck in this shelter in place. I've seen some nonprofits really come up with clever online challenges where there's a little bit of friendly competition. And or holding seminars with people that are really compelling, they want to learn from. Have you seen anything else that's been attractive? Like if somebody, if a nonprofit were to reach out to you and try to invite you and entice you as a potential new family member of donors, what would actually get you to click on that email and attend that hour long, whatever it is?
0: Yeah, I think webinars are super important. I think people sharing their personal stories is really important. And I think the beneficiaries and hearing from them and mm. putting a human touch on it is really important. I don't need a super wealthy or experienced person just talking about their relationship with the nonprofit. I want to get down to like the core foundation and what this time and money will go to. So for example, inner city weightlifting is a really great program in Boston that allows people of color youth from you know, inner city neighborhoods in Boston to you know essentially avoid the wrong path and so they give them a platform for gym training and personal trainers and we've done a number of workouts through SVB through them and they're doing they're doing monthly I think webinars of discussions around racial inequality in Boston specifically Mm -hmm. just because it's local and just raising awareness and discussions and having really honest conversations so I think that's exciting and I'm joining one on Thursday night
1: nice so you're motivated by learning about social issues, it sounds like webinars where you're getting information that's new and different. And yeah, figuring out creative ways to really hear from the beneficiaries and learn about the impact. Yeah. How important is impact and evaluation? That's a that's a part of our sector that has seemed to really be on the rise for demand is understanding exactly where does every dollar go. Do you feel like you are critical around, you know, overhead? And where money is going and how it's spent? Or are you more so trusting in the organization to be good stewards of your dollars and you'd rather hear personal stories than see the numbers? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, Tell me, like, what if you had to pick one, what would be your motivator for impact?
0: I would probably fall on the trust situation. So I don't need them to tell me their headcount dollars and where and how much each individual or FD is getting paid. I think. There's a mix, right? So for example, at the Hope Lodge Gal last summer or last year, I committed to donating $100 every month, which would equate to supporting, I think it was like a van for transportation to the hospitals for their patients. So that's nice. I think sometimes millennials like to see, okay, I'm not just giving, just tossing $50. Like there's a value prescribed to the dollar amount. And I also like the idea of $1,200 feels a lot more approachable if it's just 100 every month. Right. So breaking it down a a little bit, it's just a little less intimidating to donate $1,200 in one full sweep. And you kind of like see, you're like, wow, that van, you know, I'm supporting that. And you can kind of see it. So I think it's a mix, but I definitely don't ask for financials or seek to understand kind of like the full operating budget.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Good feedback. I want to transition a bit into corporate engagement, because I know that you've mentioned it a bit at the beginning. And the Silicon Valley Bank is very engaged with philanthropy. And we happen to have this beautiful connection, Michaela, across the country, where I serve on the board of an organization, as you mentioned earlier, called BUILD. And they serve low-income communities or underserved communities and teach entrepreneurial skills to high school students. And you have also been engaged just more peripherally, I'd say, because of Silicon Valley Bank. But you've engaged in a couple of the game days, and we don't have to focus on that. But I just want to know like, a little bit more about how does, how does a corporation do it right with you as a millennial and as a person who is giving hours and hours of time. I know sometimes you're, you're texting me at midnight saying you're still working, especially during COVID. is trying to push through loans or at least you were, but it's an interesting concept to see a model like Silicon Valley Bank. Can you open up a bit about that? Sure. I think SUV does a really good job
0: at engaging a diverse way for their employees to participate in their communities. And so on a couple fronts, so there's the grant program, which I can touch on first. So SUV Foundation has an amazing process. It's a quarterly Grant submission where employees who spend time, so you have to show volunteer time with a specific nonprofit and you write a grant case on behalf
1: of your nonprofit, you can get up to $1,200 or $12,000, excuse me. Wow. And so that's very grassroots, my... right? You have to be volunteering in order to advocate for a grant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you have to show that this is part of your individual ethos
0: and your motivations and you will stand behind something that you spend time doing. And mm-hmm. it's part of my quarterly thing. Like you just just write one, you do another one, and through that foundation, I've gotten probably fifty thousand dollars over the last three years, two wow. years for various different nonprofits. And it's so easy. So I think that awesome. is a really good platform. And not all corporations has has that foundation money. So maybe we can talk about the the structure, right? So SCB also has regional, but also national and global partnerships that align with the corporate values of SCB, which is technology, learning and improving, empathy, underserved communities, and focusing on building the strengths and skills that allow to to support the entrepreneurial and innovation sector. So, Hmm. you know, we partner with Europe, we partner with Build, um, there are a number of others which are... Amazing. And so they make it really easy for employees to engage from a volunteer standpoint and also from a time and money standpoint. So you literally can go to the Benevity page and find a number of different volunteer opportunities. You can mm. sign up for challenges. You can, you know, enlist in a group to do the tech give back day. And so for leadership to sign on and demonstrate by action that they're spending time with it. I think it just enables others to say, okay, I'm going to take a day off and do like, we call it D cubed from our life sciences team, which I absolutely adore. And it's, you know, we have it part of our goals two times a year, you get your team and you take it yourselves out of your cubes and go spend time in your community. And I've been leading that for a number of my different teams in San Diego what do we did? We did a, a food pantry day. We worked with the greater food bank in Boston. We've done a number of different events and you can kind of just like listen to what your employees want. So you do mm. various surveys Say, Hey, do you want to do environmental? Do you want to do beach cleanup? Do you want to work with, you know, the youth? And so having that part of our goal is also, I think, dem- demonstrative of s values. And I think the last piece, especially for individuals who are a couple of years out of college thinking that they can't leave their desk during the day or a little bit early. Build has been a platform for SEBers in Boston and other offices to, you know, commit to a semester, become an advisor for a team and leave your leave your office at whatever time you need to to get there and you're off, your, your work will always be waiting for you. So mm-hmm. to, see, to see leaders of various different roles, I think it opens up and relaxes that scaredy, you know, scared intimidation that if you're an analyst, you can't leave to to improve our community. And so I think that mm. definitely sets the tone for how our our company engages with our communities.
1: Yeah. So for those young folks, it would, my advice would be to talk to your boss or your manager and to say, I wanna get involved in an organization and here's the commitment and can we work this into my schedule and just have an open and upfront Mm -hmm. conversation. Sounds like that's what you're saying too, because not all corporations have that same kind of commitment to volunteerism. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's an opportunity for people who are in their early 20s, but also like me in their 30s who are looking at, and 40s and 50s and anybody who's really engaged at any level at a corporation that you have an opportunity to set a tone because it's more of a time in history than it is an age, right. is what I'm seeing as a trend, is that it's a time in history where individuals are truly integrating their work and life. And it's not a work-life balance, it's a work-life integration. And thinking about how there's meaning and sticky power to stay with a company. And sometimes it really is about finding some space to contribute in ways that are meaningful to you as an employee. Right. I completely agree. So and my advice then to nonprofits is to find somebody like Michaela, who is a keystone influencer, because what I love about you, Michaela, is that you're so outspoken and committed to rallying people to do activities that are benefiting each other as well as the community. So you're able to find moments of bonding where you do a a fundraiser together and engagement activity together, and then it results in funds raised. So that's a, that's a wonderful quality about you. What have I not asked you, Michaela? as I am thinking through the conversations that we've had in the past and just knowing who you are as a person, what would you want to share with anybody who's listening today? Ooh, I knew that you always asked that question on your <laughs> podcast, but I didn't, I didn't prepare. You've um, said a lot.
0: You've shared a lot. I mean, I think what, I, what I'm curious on is how we can make the virtual lifestyle right now a little bit more sustainable and Mm -hmm. that if i can't go and see the hope lodge and participate there how else can i participate or Mm -hmm. what else can i do and if it's just raising money let's just get there or swim across america what have you so i think right now it's gonna we were once the first couple months of covid and just get through this we just head down and move on but i think that this The world we're in right now will be a little, it'll take a little bit longer than we all were wanting. So my ask for your audience is to, you know, respond with a little bit more creative longevity and like a longer term plan to adjust, address this instead of, okay, one time fix, we're going to go virtual and then we'll deal with it. (laughs) And I know it takes a lot of planning and a lot of corporate planning and strategy thinking and budget numbers. So it's not a small ask, but I think that those that want to get involved and are used to volunteering time and being there in person, if that was once their way to get involved, how can we get those same individuals in a different way?
1: So I'm hearing an action plan would be really beneficial. So if there's a 12 month action plan, somebody like you actually relies on nonprofit engagement as a pillar of your lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. it's, finding people who are like you and then also looking at other layers of people who are not as committed to volunteerism, but they still want to contribute in some way. I would recommend to the nonprofits to come up with maybe an activity once a month or once a quarter that you can roll out as a plan and tell your volunteers and donors, this is what we're going to be doing. This is how you can engage. And then these donors and volunteers can plan around it and see what they want to opt Mm -hmm. into. Yeah. That's, that's that. a great concept. Yeah. I I haven't, I guess I've seen some organizations starting to put that together, but I'd love to see more of that. I think that's, that's going to be a winning strategy. Yeah. Michaela. If you were to send a shout out to one organization, which you've done a lot of plugging for so I I hope that um, (laughs) they're all, they must be so (laughs) grateful they're using them as examples so much. But if there is not, let's not go with an organization you've already mentioned. Maybe it's a role model or a friend or a a vision, a concept. What is it that you would want to share and shine some light on as we close this conversation? Ooh, I see my younger brother, Matthew, as
0: an amazing role model and an empath. And it allows me, especially in a very conservative city such as Boston and a very white city such as Boston and heterogen- heterogeneous. He's in San Francisco. He's in the Bay Area. He is an amazing human and has a really wide range of a network. And I appreciate him because he enlightens me on how to better be a better person person in this world and better Mm. connector and and empathetic human so I want to show it out to him because he is a great teacher
1: oh shout out to Matt and shout out to Andrew for being brother. I love Drew I (laughs) can't allow you to just do one of your brothers I love them both too much (laughs) well Drew is an example Drew is an example of a recent board member so
0: He's, you know, one of those people that now has an obligation and has signed up and is engaging this community, whereas in real estate before he was already there and at the town hall meetings and participating, but now he's doing it through a nonprofit on top of that. So I'm really proud of him as well. And it's been really cool brainstorming with him and obviously shout out to my other brother, Kenny. Love you so much. Miss you. Another amazing human artist, brilliant, smart person. So
1: well, it takes all types, doesn't it? And, and we're all contributing yeah. in different ways. And I think that one thing that I want to share with whoever's listening is that you can contribute in, in various ways and still have major impact. Not everybody has to be like Michaela, where you're getting involved with so many organizations in order to feel personally fulfilled as well as to impact an organization. So start where you're at and do one little thing one kind act one kind of act or one engagement opportunity with an organization and just feel the community be part of the community and we can make a better day together you know to wax poetic a bit but i really believe that yeah i do So too. okay Michaela i think we're going to wrap up here is there anything else you want to share
0: no thank but, you so
1: much it was so fun chatting with you Oh, I loved having this conversation with you. And I am so delighted to share this with the audience. I know that everybody's really curious to understand the millennials mentality. And I think you gave an awesome representation of it. So the takeaway would be get them engaged, figure out what makes them tick and make it consistent while having sparks of you know unique elements of engagement. All right, Michaela, have a wonderful day. You are awesome. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Lynn. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with Michaela Colbert on millennial community engagement. I want to shout out to my entire family, but with over 35 members of my extended family, including two newborns this summer, I won't name each one. But I do want to say, since I've got the moment to be live and be proud that I'm blessed for their support, guidance, and inspiration. So thank you all to my family. It does take a village, y'all. If you like what you heard today, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn, an email, or a text. Also, I encourage you to write a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and rate and review it. I appreciate you and I hope you're all doing well and enjoying the end of the summer. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review, as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.